0: Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Prop up, people, with our friends over at Thrive Fantasy. Yes, it is the opening statement on today's podcast. That is how important it is for me, for Sports Ethos, to get you guys over there checking out their incredible product, So excited to be a part of this partnership. Use promo code ETHOS when you sign up at ThriveFantasy.com or using the Thrive Fantasy app and you get a 100% deposit match bonus up to $100. You also get a free game ticket. Actually, I think it's two free tickets if you deposit $10 and four free tickets if you deposit $100. So I had that wrong on yesterday's show. We have a link we'll, we'll be tweeting out regularly that has the promo code built into it. If you don't use the link, promo code again is ethos. The website is thrivefantasy.com. And you guys should be listening to our DFS guys. They are going to break it down for you and get you guys winners over there with our brand new partner. This is the most important stuff. I know we have multiple partners. We've got Manscaped. We've got MyBookie. All that stuff. We've got ExpressVPN these days. We've got four partners we're broadcasting, telling you guys about on a daily basis pretty much. This is the one I want you guys checking out. You can deposit as little as $5, $10, whatever, just sort of explore things. Again, deposit 10 bucks and you get two free entries into the $20 tournaments. So it's really deposit 10 and you get like $50 worth of credits for the most part. So check it out. You don't need to research every player on the board. It's just the most impactful superstars, and it's props over-unders. Pick 10 out of the 20. If you rack up the most points, you win a share of the cash. It's simple. It's a nice shtick they've got going there. Thrivefantasy.com, promo code ethos, check them out. Welcome to the podcast, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today, a sports ethos presentation. I'm your host, Dan Vesperus. I uh, I hope all of you guys, and this is something we have been doing kind of a bad job of as well, reminding you that Ethos Fantasy BK on Twitter should be your starting point. For fantasy every day. It is the best blurb feed. In the industry. It's not close. It's not close. The gold standard for many years. Roto World, NBC Sports Edge. Sports ethos now faster. Just as much analysis and faster. That's what you want. The fastest one. Is fantasy labs. But no analysis. So yeah. You get an update like, you know, Nerland's Noel, expected to play. That goes out. There's no fantasy analysis there. It doesn't tell you what to do with it. Devin Vassell, doubtful. No fantasy analysis. If you want the fastest feed with analysis, so it's doing all the work for you, it's Ethos BK. It's Sports Ethos' fantasy basketball feed on Twitter. I've been telling you guys you need to get on Twitter. That's one of the feeds you got to follow. Please do follow me as well at Dan Vespers. It's a weird day today because we've got a truckload of games tonight. It's a 13 game Wednesday, I think. I might have miscounted that. It's a ton. After a three game Tuesday. So let's zip through Tuesday's card. And then I got a request from some of our premium subscribers on a topic for today's show. And we're going to go ahead and do it. Easy enough. And I'll tell you about some of our other partners as we weave our way through the card. Brooklyn beat Dallas in a comeback. James Harden nearly triple-doubled. He's basically been James Harden. After a slow first week and a half, he's now number seven on a per-game basis. He's played a half-dozen more games than two of the guys in front of him in that pecking order. He's now pulled into a dead heat with LaMelo Ball and Jimmy Butler in per-game value. By totals, he's number five. I think I already told you there were two guys in front of him he had passed. And by the time LaMelo Ball's uh, COVID absence is over, Harden will be in front of him. Kevin Durant getting a night off. Harden might be in front of him after their next ball game this evening. The only dudes he's not catching right now look like Jokic and Steph. And Jokic did miss a handful of games. He was actually in front of him by totals. Uh, Anthony Davis, oddly enough, moves up the board enough actually moves past it's a weird thing Harden is on a per game basis he's like uh just ever so slightly behind so I was uh, fudging the numbers a little bit there so by totals he moves up into a dead heat with these guys uh and Anthony Davis is is (laughs) Anthony Davis is number two by totals right now which kind of blew me away He's still not even hitting his jumpers, and he's number two by totals. Mr. Brittle has played in 24 games so far. But anyway, this is a segment on uh, the Brooklyn Nets. So Harden, that, you know, if ever there was fear, it is now gone. Kevin Durant, LaMarcus Aldridge sitting out their game this evening, which means Nicholas Claxton should see a nice bump in minutes. He actually played 21 minutes yesterday. I still don't like Claxton. I know that I'm sort of the weird one there, and all the other fantasy analysts are saying, look at what he could do. He He's a free throw disaster, and he's going to get to the line because he's going to be cutting. He's going to be rim running in James Harden, Nick Claxton pick and rolls. So he's going to get free throws, and it's a weird thing. He's actually not as great in steals and blocks as we would sort of imagine given his activity. He's fine. He's not bad at them. But there isn't that intense upside of guys that can do the big man stuff and then just pile up defensive stats on top of it. So I'm not that interested in Nick Claxton. The guy I'm interested in in a fill-in role, well, first, I think DeAndre Bembry does probably get more minutes tonight. He played only 14 yesterday. He's been moved into the drop category since Bruce Brown started making noise. But more than anything, James Johnson. That's the name. You guys know it was coming. You knew it was on the way. He had 25 minutes in yesterday's win over Dallas. But 12 points, 4 boards, 4 assists, a steal, a block, 2 three-pointers. He's always been an across-the-board fantasy guy. He's had issues with his free-throw stroke throughout his career. That's not going to be a big winner of a thing. But if he gets minutes, he does stuff. Threes, points, boards, assists, steals, blocks. It's pretty rare that you can get a guy, and he's not usually all that bad in field goal percent either. He's not good in free-throw. But now you're talking about potentially 8 out of 9 categories and not a punt free-throw guy because he isn't going to take all that many. I like James Johnson a lot as a fill-in, and I wonder, by the way, when I say a fill-in, I always think of to fill My Jewish listeners are probably going to start to hear that now. Um, the interesting thing about a guy like James Johnson is that, and I need to come up with a terminology for it. Last night, I, I started to wax poetic on Twitter about all the different kinds of streamers James Johnson is a potential streamer with benefits. He falls into that department, not because of the Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge injury, but because he'd been coming on anyway. He fills a different role for Brooklyn than Bruce Brown did or DeAndre Bembry. Bruce Brown, DeAndre Bembry, those guys can't space the floor at all. They are, also, I would argue, pretty undersized for the power forward spot, although Bembry can... He can get away with it a bit easier than, than Bruce Brown can. Brown is small. I mean, he was a wildly undersized power forward. It's not even clear that that's the position he was playing. That's just the designation he was getting in some on some websites. Bemery's playing power forward. He and Kevin Durant are sort of a, uh, a pair. But he has no floor spacing ability. He's a terrible free throw shooter. So, yeah, you get some rebounds, you get some steals. But from an overall basketball standpoint, he makes very little sense. James Johnson is more of a ball mover who can somehow, I mean, he's not terrific at it, but he can actually space the floor a little bit. More than Bembry, more than Bruce Brown, which is saying something about the lack of spacing that this team actually has right now, because James Johnson is not a guy who's known for hitting his three-point shots either. In fact, if you go throughout his career, his, his maximum attempted was about three and a half five years ago. But throw him out there for... A full complement of minutes, and you might get him back up into that three attempts per ballgame range. In fact, the game log for James Johnson is actually really interesting and particularly telling. Is there enough left to do when Harden and Durant are healthy is, to me, the only question that's not yet answered. In this most recent ballgame, the answer was yes. Now, he also shot 5 for 7, so the scoring was better. Previous game, he shot 5 for 6 after a night off in between, so the scoring was better in that one as well. You can look at the game log for Johnson. Anytime he clears 25 minutes this year, he's put up a pretty nice fantasy line. 17, 10, and 4 with a block and a 3. That was November 19th. Next ballgame, three days later, 9 points, 5 boards, 5 assists, 2 steals, and a 3-pointer. Again, bad free-throw shooting. Then he dipped under 25. Then he came back up over it. 27 minutes. 6.6 boards a block. Not as great in that one, but teetering on it. Few assists or a three-pointer away from being salvageable. And then each of the last two ball games, 11-6-1 with a block. And then yesterday, 12-4 for a steel block and two three-pointers. Is there any real ceiling here? Hell no. No. He's not going big. But if he does start to grab this job... There's a wacky universe where he ends up as the starting power forward on this team. If they start to really like what he's doing, and then you're talking 26, 27 minutes a game, at that point, you'd have to add him. Right now, I don't think you do. The reason I call him a streamer with benefits is this is a night where he could potentially go big with no Durant and no Aldridge. Then everybody will pick him up after tonight, and those folks might get super lucky because maybe he just sticks after that. Maybe he just takes the power forward job from DeAndre Bembry and never looks back. But nobody picked him up. The people that, the the casuals, if you want to call them that, they're going to pick him up because they see him having a big ball game tonight, filling in for two of the Nets' larger players who are sitting out with rest. They're not picking him up because they've seen the trend line. They'll be picking him up because of the one big game. Don't let those folks get lucky like that. If you're interested in a high-floor, low-ceiling type like James Johnson, who's, again, ranked near number 300. So, they're like, no one is fighting you for him today. You're going to want to do it before this evening's ball game, even if you don't start him tonight. He's available in every single one of the leagues that I'm in right now, and I'm in pretty damn competitive leagues. So, that, again, this is not a fight that I'm sending you, like, racing to the waiver wire for. It's far from it. But, but, if he grabs that job which he might, and he doesn't shoot 43% at the foul line, and you start to see some well-roundedness, you'll want to be in front of it. Of course, the other side of it is, there are just so many damn pickups these days that why are we even worrying so much about a guy like Johnson who doesn't have almost any ceiling at all? People might have said that about our next uh, contestant, Dorian Finney-Smith. Remember at the beginning of the year, I said, this guy's going to work his way into a top 90 valuation? Well, he's at 112 now. He's had a good couple of weeks, 15-6-2, three steals in this ballgame. He's really settled in nicely of late. Luca, KP, those are obvious ones, but DFS, too, lately. So what have you done for me lately kind of league? Finney Smith, number 58 over the last two weeks, 11-4-3, 1.8 steals, almost three three-pointers a game, good field goal percent. Of course, as the field goal percent tapers off, his lines kind of do as well, but it's what we said. Dude's playing full starters minutes with minimal competition. He should be able to kind of close his eyes and bumble his way into that 90 range, and he's almost there. Overall, all, all together now. It's an entirely new way of flying. Uh, Knicks beat the Spurs on the road. R.J. Barrett had his big ball game, um, which, of course, impacted everybody Also, Manuel quickly actually had one of his better ball games. And and there's a story there. There's a number of stories with this Knicks team because they're one of the the teams we're in, we're in full monitor mode right now. First of all, Mitchell Robinson, Nerlens, Noel flipped. Nerlens into the starting lineup, played more minutes than Mitchell, but did weigh less. And that, of course, is built on how the Knicks run kind of two different offenses. There's the Julius Randle's on the floor offense, which is through Julius Randle, Working out of the post, slowly, everyone else get the hell out of the way. Space the floor. If you're the center, try crashing the glass. Hope for the best. You're not going to get to do anything. And then there's the second unit offense, which is running. Derrick Rose tends to run. Emmanuel Quickly tends to run. Obi Toppin tends to run. So you throw Mitchell Robinson in that mix, and suddenly you've got someone now who can rim run every time down the floor get on skates on defense, play faster, get steals, get blocks. When they announced the switch, my first thought was, damn it, Mitchell Robinson's minutes are going to take a pretty big hit. But his per-minute production out of the second unit is likely to be much better. And we saw that on full display yesterday. Robinson had perhaps his best game of the season, 11-14, and 14, two steals, three blocks. It's been, at times, kind of a rough year for him, and yet somehow, last two weeks... He's in the top 80, very slowly working his way up the board. He's number 113. He's right next to Dorian Finney-Smith, who we just talked about. And uh, for Robinson, like, you know, he's he's one shot attempt per game, basically, away from being a solid fantasy contributor. And if he starts to block more shots in that second unit, well, then the sky's the limit because you get up and over two blocks per game, and you can walk into top 75 value. You don't have to do anything else. So New Noel, yes, he's a start, quieter game, and he will have quieter ones in the starting unit because that's just what the starting center does for the Knicks. But Noel playing 25, 26 minutes a game is a must-add, must-start guy. And then Mitchell Robinson, who there was a lot of fear, might actually end up being better or at least the same in this backup role. Great. Two centers, start them both. Uh... In terms of the other guys, Alec Burks is still the easy one. He's just coasting along, played big minutes, got a bunch of shots, doing his thing. Then there's the rest, which is R.J. Barrett, who's had a big ball game, but he's terrible in category leagues. He's points league only. Derek Rose, uh, Evan Fournier, and Emmanuel Quickly. I've said, and I will maintain, that I don't trust Quickly on the fantasy side. You look at this ball game, and this is sort of the best case scenario. Gets a steal, hits a couple threes, makes some free throws, doesn't completely ruin you. Five for twelve from the field, not a complete disaster, on the field goal percent side, and five rebounds, which is pretty high for him. Again, game they had, they had fifty-two rebounds in this one. This ball game had a ton of possessions in it, that's also on the high side. So if you're worried about Derrick Rose, I say probably don't be. He's only going to be this pedestrian when both R.J. Barrett and Emmanuel Quickly are having positive impact games. If either one of them shows a sign of slippage, Rose gets a chance to do a whole bunch more. This was just that type of game. So I still like Derrick Rose as my favorite of those other guys. Um, We can probably... Move Fournier back behind quickly because what we're seeing here is that Evans' game with New York is is pretty much built exclusively on making three pointers. He's not doing almost anything else. That's not good enough, and that's you know that's a similar story to Emmanuel quickly, frankly. Although with quickly, at least he's a, uh, a very good foul shooter, and he's going to be a bit more assertive, I would think. And then R.J. Barrett, if you're in a category league, he's got almost no chance because. You know this this ball game was as good as it's gonna get. It's a sell moment. Points leagues fine. That's a it's a different scenario. But this is that's a category league setup. Burks is the only one who's obviously above the cut line. I think Derrick Rose will end up above the cut line when everything all levels out uh, quickly. Probably more a streamer type. Fournier maybe even a little bit below that. And then Barrett is uh, very much a different settings kind of basketball player. On the Spurs side, there's little more than celebrating Derek White's ascension into awesomeness. Because, you know, I admit I started to get a little bit worried on the Derek White front because I was so damn high on him during draft season and he got up to such a miserable start this year. But the shot is starting to come around. He's up to 40.5% from the field overall in the year, which still has him in the 60s. But again, this is very much a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately kind of thing. And Derek White, last two weeks, number 48. Still only shooting 41% over that stretch. Over the last week, 57. In the 40s, same kind of thing. Uh, You guys probably get the picture. This is a guy who's trending towards the top 50 type of year. Once you wipe out the really awful early season shooting displays, Scores, boards, assists, steals, blocks out of the guard spot. If he has a week or two where he shoots 50 or 55%, oh my goodness. Keldon Johnson uh, hurt his ankle in this ballgame. There wasn't a a supremely obvious pickup to take his place. I didn't like Keldon anyway. Doug McDermott probably gets a few more shots, and then they'll split it up. You know, you'll see Lonnie Walker. If he gets hot, he'll play a little bit more. Bryn Forbes blah And the Lakers played arguably their best game of the season so far. Anthony Davis was solid, LeBron was solid, Russell Westbrook was solid. Um and you got a pretty good look at at what they can do when offensively things are clicking a little bit. I thought they actually missed a few easy shots as well. Boston's defense really let them down. Uh Westbrook got to the rim repeatedly. Anthony Davis was just going around Horford and the Time Lord. This was what the Lakers were hoping for, and they played a little bit better defense. One thing that I would have liked to have seen Boston do was exploit the Lakers' switching pick-and-roll defense a little bit more. You've seen a lot of teams just get the switch and then attack it. It creates a lot of isolation ball if the Lakers don't double-team, but you know, we've seen Malik Monk and Taylor Norton-Tucker and Wayne Ellington. Those guys have gotten picked on repeatedly over the last couple of weeks. That said, someone on a podcast somewhere, his name was Dan, the podcast was called Fantasy NBA Today, said the Lakers would be 13-12 and after 25 games. Remember when I said that in August? I told you everybody was going to be in a full-blown, hair-on-fire panic also. It was so easy to see from a million miles away. I wish there was a prop bet. Lakers to win less than 15 games in their first 25. That would have been the easiest damn bet on planet Earth because you knew this whole team is new. AD, LeBron, Talon, Horton, Tucker. I think that's it. So, of course, they're massive growing pains. Who the hell are you guarding on defense? Where are the switches coming from? Where are you going to be on offense? How do I throw you a pass without turning it over? But you get better every week, every two weeks, you get better. Next 25 games, I think the Lakers will probably go like 15 and 10, if I had to guess. It's not going to be like this magical switch flips and they win 15 games in a row, uh, but they're going to be a little bit better than they were before. I was on beating the... Uh, sorry, I was on a numbers game with Gil Alexander, whose Twitter handle is Beating the Book. That's why I almost called him Beating the Book. And he said, Is there anyone in the West that could topple the Suns or the Warriors? And I said... Everyone's going to hate me for this, but it's the Lakers. Because everybody else in the West is either stagnating or going down. The Mavs, to me, stagnant. The Nuggets, down. Because they've lost half of their teams through no fault of their own. Trailblazers imploding. Clippers, stagnant. No Kawhi. What's there? Grizzlies are kind of on the way up right now. They're playing really well without John Moran, but I don't think they have the personnel to win a grinding playoff series. They're better than I expected, though, so I don't want to take anything away from them. And then the Jazz are still the same good Jazz team that finds a way to lose in the playoffs. So it's the Warriors, the Suns, and then the other team in that mix that's like, oh, well, this is a team that's been playing horribly, but they are better than what we've seen is the Lakers. And it's not homerism. It's just there's a LeBron on that team. They have three Very good basketball. You can hate Russell Westbrook's fantasy game, and I do. I detest it. But remember what he did the second half with the Wizards last year? He's still better than most of the other players in the NBA, much as we hate to admit it because he does a lot of dumb crap on the the court. Just insane crap. (laughs) But he's a fighter, man. And he's fast. And he actually passes pretty well. I know that there's a, a... You know, a lot of, like, you got to shoot it after he passes it to you, but he creates problems for teams. And they are looking better in the non-LeBron minutes. They still can't take him out for long, but, I mean, it's better than Dennis Schroeder running that second unit, which we saw on the Celtics' side. Fantasy-wise, I don't think there was a whole lot in this ballgame. Jason Tatum is uh, finally here on the upswing. Thank the good Lord. Uh, He's a mid-second rounder over the last month. Okay? So it's, uh, it's coming around. He's number 31 overall on the year. He's shooting 41% now from the field. We, I mean, we talked about this. He was at 39%. That's when he was in the late 40s. 2% higher. He's at 30. Put another 2% on that. He probably gets down to about 20. So here he comes. He's still only at 82% free throws. That's a, usually a thing that's a big elevator for him. If the free throws get up to 84-85 and the field goal gets up to 44-45 and the points go with it, because remember, the scoring won't be 25 and a half if all those other things start to go in. It'll be 27, 28. Three-pointers will go up a little bit. Steals probably come up a little bit. It'll just walk right back into that turn area value. That was, again, maybe the easiest buy low in in our lifetimes. Uh, Taylor Norton Tucker had a better ball game for the Lakers. Played 35 minutes. He goes from being really interesting to just unwatchable. Like, it still makes a ton of young player mistakes if you watch Lakers Laker games live. Uh, but this is about as good as it's going to get. You, you know, he, he took a bunch of shots, which is great. You know, volume-wise, that's good for fantasy. But he doesn't hit three-pointers. Steals and blocks aren't usually anywhere near this good. Um, doesn't usually assist all that much. The rebounding was high in this ball game. Is His free throw percent is not very good either. It's really hard for him to stay above the cut line. Streamer. And Dwight Howard to drop. Because if he's not... Starting, which I don't know that he will against teams that don't have a big opposing center, then there's no point in holding on there. Carmelo Anthony's been a drop for about two weeks since he's cooled off and Malik Monk falls into that streamer department as well. We're lucky, I think, with Malik to get as much as we did yesterday because he just wasn't as involved. They didn't need him as much. Superstars did this stuff. With a giant card on the way tonight, I wanted to address a question... That I got in our premium discord, which I don't know that I've talked about enough on this podcast lately. If you guys want access to uh, the best pros here at Sports Ethos, including myself, I'm generally sort of on shift every Monday to get you guys ready for the week. Just get a fantasy pass. It's 4.99 a month. You can turn it on and off whenever you please. We're not in draft season, so it is very much a month-to-month membership. Turn it on. Check out our Discord. You got to hit up uh, me, generally, for a code to get in there because it's premium members only. And then you can just ask questions. There's an Ask the Pros thread. Someone monitors that every day. You get questions for all of your fantasy teams. It's effectively one-on-one help from folks that stare at this all day. Again, myself included. Check out a fantasy pass over there. Get it going, man. But anyway, the, uh, the question I got was... Dan, can you dive back into the streaming discussion a little bit? And I thought, all right, well, surely there will be a day coming up where we don't have a whole lot of other things to to deep dive into. And today made a lot of sense with only three games yesterday. Tomorrow's show will have 13 games to recap, so that'll be built on that. Friday's show um, will be week in review, and you know if there are a bunch of pickups and stuff like that, we'll we'll roll that all all together. Um. And it got me thinking last night, and it's why I sent out those the three or four tweets on just kind of this, this the idea of streaming. Because it, it really means a lot of different things. And I thought, maybe we start from the end and work our way back towards the beginning. Meaning, streaming in your head-to-head playoffs is kind of the one time of year where I think you positively must do it. You take whatever number of moves you have per week, because almost every head-to-head league has a weekly moves limit. If yours doesn't, please get your GM to turn it on. That's their commissioner. That's insanity. At that point, I've argued that you should have roughly uh, N divided by 2 plus 1 number of streaming slots. So if you have two we- or four weekly moves, divide that by two and add one. So that'd be four divided by two is two, plus one is three. Turn three slots into streaming slots. To which the general question is, how the hell do I have three streaming slots with only four moves per week? That incorporates the notion of the long stream, meaning you're not necessarily streaming guys on a two-day or three-day or four-day or even five-day basis, sometimes you might stream someone for a full seven days. Rarely longer than that, but sometimes that's rough. I mean, it's usually... Last year we had some weirder ones that went a little longer because teams were getting games postponed and then slotted back in in a a very difficult up-and-down stretch. But this year, assuming we don't have any games postponed, the best possible stretch for a team well best possible is a back-to-back a A game per day for more than one day but you can't stream three roster slots by just going back-to-backs all week because you'd have monday tuesday that's one roster slot or one move wednesday thursday is another friday saturday is another and then sunday into monday would be your fourth move so you've now just done one streaming slot You turned one slot from a player that probably had four games that week into seven. You used four moves, but only got three additional games out of your roster that week in total. And maybe you got an extra one the following week. I don't know. Depends on if your player was going to go on Monday. And, you know, the guy you picked up does end up going on Monday anyway. Now you incorporate the long stream. Meaning, you found a guy who has a five-games-in-seven-days stretch that runs from Wednesday of one week until Tuesday of the next. I don't know who you're dropping, but they probably had three games between Wednesday and Sunday, on average. Probably about three games. Maybe it was two. It's almost definitely not four. You could could basically say it's like 2.75 or something like that. We'll just round that up to three. When you pick up someone who's starting a five and seven on a Wednesday, that means they're going to go uh, Wednesday, off Thursday. They go Friday, Saturday, probably. No, oh, excuse me. They'll go Wednesday, Thursday, off Friday, play Saturday. So you might not have actually gained any games that week, but they go Monday, Tuesday the following week, which almost definitely gains you a game over those seven days. You've taken someone that had four games over seven days and turned them into five. Now it works even better because you're actually gaining on average more than one game because someone having four games in seven is actually pretty good anyway. You might have taken someone who only has three games or heaven forbid, a player that only plays twice over that next seven day stretch and turned it into five times so on average there, you're probably gaining more like 1.75, one, one and a half to two range games with one roster move. You've only used one of your four moves, and over the next week, that's how you should always be thinking. What am I going to get out of the next week from this roster move? You've gained about one and a half to two additional games in your playoff run. Unfortunately, there aren't usually enough, and again, last year excluded because of all the weird postponements, but there aren't usually enough teams or streamable players on those teams to where you use all four of your weekly moves on someone headed into a five and seven. We got to do that last year, and that actually allowed us to stream like probably as many as four slots per week because you could just use every one of your moves to set up the next five and seven boat. Mostly, you may be able to do that once, maximum twice in a given seven-day stretch. Meaning, you're going to have two or even three moves left over for what I would call middle-long streams. So, like someone you pick up who has three games in four nights, for instance. That's a pretty good little stretch. They only have one day off in there. You can run four days. Because they'll go on, off, then a back-to-back, or back-to-back, and then off, and then one game on at the other end of that. There's also going to be folks where you just pick up the back-to-back. There's some folks that go four in six days, which is actually not that terrible. It's just one click down from five and seven. You use your next roster move on the seventh day instead of on the eighth day. Anyway, you piece all that together, and you can usually stream three or N over two plus one. N being the number of weekly moves you have for a playoff week. Okay, roll the calendar a bit earlier now into the regular season. What does streaming mean? I don't think you need to be looking for five and sevens during the regular season. I think you are actually a bit more uh, constrained by having, and this is head-to-head, having moves available in case someone with rest-of-season appeal pops up. Like, think if you had used all of your moves by Friday of two weeks ago and then we had word that Alec Burks was moving into the starting lineup and you didn't have a move left to pick him up? That's a season-changing whiff simply because you were streaming too hard the first four to five days of your week. So you can't go all out like that. I think during the regular season, you should pretty much just have one streaming slot. You should turn one streaming slot from a three or four game week into like a six game week and then save your other probably two out of four roster moves for things that are impact moves for your team. Someone that got hurt gets hurt for a long time. Maybe you can't put them on IL if it's full or whatever it turns out to be. You want to have those moves to kind of cover your butt. So that's why when we talk about someone who's a head-to-head streamer, it actually means a number of different things. A head-to-head streaming player, actually, I guess it doesn't mean that many different things, fits either in the regular season or in the playoff mold. This is someone who, over whatever length of time you're streaming them, could pop off for above 100 level value. But you're not that concerned about it, because basically what you're saying is, I'd rather have this guy who plays four times in six days at what'll probably be about a top 115 clip than hold on to this other guy who's top 90 but only plays two or three times during that same stretch of games. Having the one extra game is more important than the difference between a top 90 or a top 110 type of player. Those guys just simply aren't separated by that much. It's a much bigger deal if you're comparing a top 115, 110 guy to, like, a top 50 player. The top 50 guy in three games is generally going to be better than the top 110 guy in four. But when they're close enough, the streaming bucket all gets bigger in head-to-head. It's a wider array that's based on more factors that generally come down to someone having a pretty good scheduling spot. There's also what I would refer to as a roto streamer, which I think when you hear the term, what pops into your head is, is Dan talking about someone who's just good in a lot of categories? Actually, no. What I'm talking about is I'm talking about someone who would be worth playing in a games cap format. So maybe I shouldn't call him a roto streamer. Maybe I should call him a games cap streamer. What that means is I'm not actually that worried about how positive their schedule is I want someone in that type of mold who's who I believe is going to be a top 75 play for that night. So a games cap streamer is basically the shortest possible unit of stream with the highest possible upside. Let me try to give an example of uh, all the different types of that. We've just been talking about. So, if we were to look at a team's schedule and crap, I don't know. I don't know if there's a great example happening right at this exact second. Um, but if you want to look back at say like last year's playoffs, cause they happened all the time for head to head, finding someone who is in the middle of a five and seven, that's eh, not that helpful. I mean, I already told you guys that uh, earlier in this discussion Uh, let's see. Today is December the 8th. What's going on here? You guys are just gonna have to listen to me sort of rifle my way through a board or through a sheet here. Uh, so let's see. What the hell team is that? Denver has a back-to-back today and tomorrow with a game on sort of a a light Thursday. It's actually part of three games in four nights and four games in six nights. But, you know, not like that overwhelming, uh... Other teams that are going 3-4... and four. Oh, hey, here we go. On Friday, the Houston Rockets actually start a 5-7 and seven stretch. Okay, so all these guys that I've talked about really not liking on the Rockets, they all become kind of interesting. Because you make one move on Friday, uh, and you don't have to worry about it doing anything with that player until the following Friday. So someone like an Eric Gordon, who's been extraordinarily annoying over his entire career... Probably has streamer appeal in head-to-head leagues because he just plays every damn day, and you want to rack up numbers in your head-to-head. In Roto, I could not care less about the players on the Rockets that are about to go in a, a five-and-seven stretch. Could not care even the tiniest bit less. In Roto, by the way, there is a team in the middle of a five-game week, and it's the San Antonio Spurs. So they would this would be a good discussion to have on Monday. On the game's cap side, or what I've referred to uh, on Twitter and even on the podcast as a roto streamer, I'm looking for someone who is an immediate powerhouse fill-in, and maybe the best example of that is Dennis Smith Jr. And maybe that's not a great example, because Anthony Simons is actually questionable for the Blazers' next ball game. so if he plays, then he actually becomes the best example of that. The, the Roto Games cap streamer is almost always an injury replacement or some other, like, next-up kind of guy. Where someone who, when they're not in this whatever advantageous spot, they're more like a head-to-head streamer or even ever so slightly behind that. So, like, Anthony Simons was what? He was, like, top one... 50 type of range guy prior to Lillard going down uh, 160 range. So he wasn't even really streamer level, but you take the guy out of the lineup. That's immediately in front of him. who also happens to be a superstar in Damian Lillard. And Simons not only sees his minutes tick up, he, he would go from likely playing 21, 22 minutes a game, 20 minutes a game to about 32 or 33. But you actually also see his role increase so it's this, like, the line actually curves up as opposed to with most most guys, as their minutes go up, their production levels off a bit over time. Like, they, they do a ton with their first 12 minutes, and then everything levels off a bit. Uh, for a guy like Simons, or a lot of injury replacements, when they get bumped up into that superstar replacement role, what they have to do, exponential curve. It tips up. I don't know if I'd call it logarithmic, but I guess that's where you sit with that. So then he's not taking 10 shots in 23 minutes. He's taking, you know, 15 in 30 minutes. He takes 50% more shots, but his minutes only go up by like 33%. His assists go up by more than 50% because now he's a primary distributor in addition to just being a scorer on the floor. So, those are the kind of guys you look at as the games cap streamers. This might only last one game with Dennis Smith Jr., if we want to pivot back to him. If Simons is not back tonight, Dennis Smith Jr., not a great head-to-head stream because we don't even know. It's it's 1.30 in the afternoon Pacific time, and we don't know if he's even going to be streamable tonight. If Simons comes back, he's not. If Simons comes back, Dennis Smith Jr. isn't usable in any streaming fashion. It's why he's not a good head-to-head stream, because you don't want to use a weekly move on a guy who might not pan out. But if... That's the thing about the Gamescap stream. There's sort of this if... It's like a, a, a logic problem. I don't know if anybody took a logic class in college. That was a, hey, what's this moment for me? And then it ended up being kind of fun. If P, then Q, effectively. If Dame is out and... If Anthony Simons is out, then Dennis Smith Jr. becomes a really cool games cap streamable guy. But if either of those first things is not true, Dennis Smith Jr. is no longer a streamable guy. We could go through the contrapositive on that as well. Yeah, I know. Weird podcast today. The point is, you should get ExpressVPN. (laughs) I'm not going to do that to you guys. <laughs> That's messed up. Uh, but I am going to tell you about them in a minute. The point is, Gamescap streams are all about short-term supernova opportunity. Head-to-head streams are all about schedule. Maximizing the total you get out of someone over some stretch of time. There's a time element. In Gamescap, the time element is insignificant. If Dennis Smith Jr. lasts two games as a big-time streamer, that's great. That's great. That's just gravy. But again, when you're in Gamescap, you want every one of those games you use to be someone who pushes the boulder forward. That's what you're always hunting for. I don't give a crap about some dude like Reggie Jackson, we've talked about forever. Some dude who can just chill in the 120 range the whole year and have you know good health and all that stuff and shoot terribly from the field. Uh, and in head-to-head, he ends up being a much better value than he is in Roto because durability matters in head-to-head. You want someone who plays all four of their games in a given week. In Roto, I'd rather have somebody who plays three out of those four games, but puts up Big numbers in the three, because in the fourth, I can go find someone else. Especially at the end of the year when ish gets real screwy. But um, but seriously, though, you, you guys really do need to get ExpressVPN. And I know I do a lot of pushing. I'm pushing on this podcast today. Thrive Fantasy, easily the most important thing I told you about on today's podcast. Please do take a second. Check that out. There, It's so much fun, and you got a chance to win money, and it takes so little to... To get going. You know, ten dollar deposit using promo code Ethos, you get that extra ten dollars. You get the two twenty dollar game tickets. So it's actually more like sixty bucks. To deposit ten, you end up with like sixty dollars of play money on the site. Twenty of them are real money, and then the tickets that you have to use, you can't cash those out. So definitely Thrive Fantasy. And then also Express VPN. We want to make a really nice impression on them as well. Um we had a good campaign with them. Um Last year, and I'm excited to do that again. I know a number of you guys were waiting on us getting another coupon code so that you could get ExpressVPN this year uh, and then use League Pass to view teams that previously you'd been blacked out from. That, I think, is probably the most common way we see it used here in NBA circles. So, happy holidays, everybody, from ExpressVPN. Tis the season of giving, but stop giving your data... Your personal information to your ISP. Screw them. Get ExpressVPN. It's one click. They protect your information. So your ISP can't see every damn website you visit. So they can't tailor every ad to you. So they can't sell your information to third-party advertisers. They make truckloads off of the websites you go to. That information means everything in the world of advertising. Don't be their guinea pig. Don't let them watch you. Do the things you want to do on the internet without fear. Privacy from ExpressVPN, and you can get 15 months of membership for the price of one year. So a bonus three months tacked onto your membership. Go to expressvpn.com slash hoopball. Yes, it's the old code. Expressvpn.com slash HoopBall, H-O-O-P-B-A-L-L. Holler at me if there's any issue with the code. Again, we're trying to get these switched over, but they haven't been yet. ExpressVPN.com slash HoopBall. Protect your privacy. Watch the teams you want to watch. Do the things you want to do on the internet. Thank me later. It's so easy. It doesn't slow down your internet connection, and it really is. You fire up an app, and it's one button. You just turn it on, and you can pick where you want to be. Like I signed on in Toronto I don't live in Toronto. That's your show. I hope the streaming guide was somewhat useful for you. Tomorrow, 13 game mega recap. I am Dan Bespris at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Again, follow Ethos Fantasy BK, the best blurb feed in the industry, and check out ThriveFantasy.com as well. Enjoy the big night in the NBA, and we will talk at you again tomorrow. Later.